I got sad news from Steve uh, this morning. Actually, his mom died about 3.30 this morning. So not unexpected, but it's still hard. You know, that's his last parent. So what do you do when you're an orphan? So it's hard. They're going to start funeral preparations immediately, but he hopes to be back by the end of the week. So I tried to tell him, hey, take some time. It's okay. It's a big deal. But I think he needs to be back to normal. So if you see him or send him a text, it's hard. So let's, uh, let's pray. Pray for him. Pray for us. Father our God, we are always humbled when we lose somebody we love. As much as we think we've got life figured out, then death happens. Those that we've come to depend on as pillars in our life, like our moms, pass from this world to to the next. Despite of all of our study and our prayers, O oh Lord, it still scares us. So we pray your presence with Steve and his entire family. That today they really do know deep in their soul that it is well with mom. This long struggle that she's had to be born on the other side has finally come to an end. And she was with you in a place that Mark talks about today place that you prepared for us, the kingdom, that is the place where sin does not reign, but we choose you because you've chosen us. Help us as we live our lives today to be reminded that we do live in tents here in this life, and before we're ready, the tent will come down, and we'll be called to the next. Help us to be ready for that day whether it be us or those that we love. Because when a person is with you, we do not lose them. We simply see them later. Help us to live in that reality as we see those that don't yet know you. May we find strength to share the truth with them so they will not be left behind. In your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right, we are speeding our way through Mark. Still in the first chapter. But Jesus is getting started here. He's had his sort of preamble. He's done his 30 years, if you will, of training, although he didn't really need it. Uh, He's been baptized, didn't really need it. He's gone into the wilderness to be tempted. Argue there, he didn't really need it. But now he is, on the one hand, beginning his teaching as a rabbi. So rabbis, when they're sort of full in, they will wander, become itinerant, like Methodist ministers, for, eh, it varies. I've seen some as short as two years, some as long as ten years. But this time they don't marry. But what they do is they sort of travel and they present to the communities uh, their their qualifications, their ability to interpret Scripture, their understanding of Scripture. So Jesus is doing this, 
But people began to discover very quickly, this is not just a rabbi. Uh, This is someone extraordinary. He has powers far beyond a rabbi. He has teachings, and we'll talk about this. He has an understanding of Scripture, almost like he wrote it. And they begin to use the M word, that this might be the Messiah. This might be the one. One of the things that blows our mind sometimes, but when we look at the historical records, there were bunches and bunches of people claiming to be the Messiah. These are some before Jesus, some after Jesus, even some during Jesus, frankly. Um, there's a there's a guy called Simon Bar Kokhba that will come after Jesus. Uh, Simon, some of the star, and uh, he he was. They really thought the Messiah, the Jews did, or many did. And uh, he ended up not being, obviously, uh, but he was a warrior, got killed in battle. And so everything is percolating. You know, people are, are looking for this, they're seeing this, they're making it happen. Jesus is matching all the Old Testament descriptions, but he's doing it in a way that nobody really anticipated. And so that's that's fun to watch. So let's pick up in verse 14 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 14. Later on, after John was arrested by Herod Antipas, so this is a little foreshadowing, Uh, Eventually, what will happen to poor old John the Baptist? Yeah, it's a wild birthday party where one of the daughters of Herod Antipas wants John's head on a silver platter. Nice girl. Um, These Herods are always good people. But Herod Antipas is one of the sons of Herod, obviously, and Herod the the king, sometimes called Herod the Great, although I don't think he deserves that. He was a nut job. Um, The Romans, who were not nice people, famously said, I would much rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son, um, because he doesn't tend to kill his pigs, but he'll kill his sons. So Herod Antipas is one of the sons that lived um, longer than his dad. But he rules up um, in the north. Uh, So Jesus is leaving Judah, and he's going back to Galilee. So really important uh, to sort of see Jesus, in modern sense, has been in Israel for a while. And now he's going to get back on a plane, and he's going to fly back to New York. That's kind of the relationship between Judah and Galilee. Judah is a country, it's a kingdom, it's where the Jews live. Galilee is part of another country, and it's not a Jewish land. There are many Jews that live there. They're probably the largest minority group, but they're not in power. So Jesus grows up in in a different kind of place. Again, sort of like New York. Um, there's a lot of Jews in New York, but they don't. They're not the majority in New York, um, as far as I know. Um, so he's going to do most of his ministry in Galilee, most of his teachings in Galilee. He'll do big events at the holidays in Jerusalem, but uh, his bread and butter is Galilee, where he grew up. So he begins to preach 
And this is really important that we get these terms. God's good news. Now we usually understand, well, let me tackle the last verse. At last, the time has come, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Turn from your sins and believe in the good news. So his direct quote. Now, we always tend to translate this backwards. So we know what the good news is. We know what the gospel is. And so we take maybe Paul and we go backwards and we say that's what Jesus meant. What I want to try to help us do is connect the whole Bible together. It's not good ever as Christians if we take parts of it. So we have to understand what was coming before and what Jesus did and then how that continued forward. So it's sort of the complete complete view. So this is going to seem a little random, but hang with me here. You're all Christians. You've studied your scripture. You're pretty mature. You go to church. Please explain to me how the world ends. How it ends? How it ends, yeah. Do what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what scripture is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say the world doesn't actually end, it just gets redone. Oh, that's a, that, that's a good take. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Earth 2.0 kind of stuff. Yeah, I like that. Did the, the you say that? The, the world that is and the world to come. So there's, yeah. I mean, we know some basic facts, right? Jesus comes back and stuff changes, ends dramatically. What, what else happens at the end of the world? Yeah, there's there's battle, there's fighting, there's stuff. Something about the Antichrist and the horror of Babylon, and I don't get all that, but uh, and New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, yeah, whatever that is. Um, yeah, it's it's heaven uh, in essence, the the place that we we go and exist forever. Um, so my contention to you is that we Christians generally understand about as much about the end of the world as the Jews did about the coming of the Messiah. They got parts of it, right? They're, they're, they're scriptural parts, and, and it's interesting. We, we go to violence. We go to city, Jerusalem. We, we go to things changing. And they, they would say the same thing. Yeah, when the Messiah comes, there's going to be a lot of fighting. Um, but he's going to win. Um, we're going to come back to Jerusalem. Uh, things are going to change. They're going to be like they were before. They're going to be better. And what I want to maintain to you is none of this stuff is wrong. God has been building this teaching literally for thousands of years, telling them there will come a time and it will be the end of time. When God calls back to his mountain, Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, his people, the Jews that were scattered in all over the world, 
So the Jews and then all the other tribes, you know, uh, Manasseh, Ephraim, Naphtali, uh, Asher, uh, Gad, I mean, on and on and on. All these tribes get to come back. Even though we think they disappeared, they're going to come back. Coming back with them are going to be many Gentiles that choose to believe in the, the God of Moses. Uh, at, on this mountain, the Messiah will appear, and the Messiah will lead a new uh, era, a new reign of God. And it's always this combination of what we know to be the coming of Jesus, but also the end of the world. So we separate those two very strongly, but you'll see that Jesus does not. In Jesus' teaching, the kingdom is coming, but the kingdom is here. Um, in, in Mark and other places, they talk about the end being imminent. Now, we think, yeah, how imminent can it be? It's been 2,000 years. Uh, but to be true to Jesus' teachings, he's saying, this is the Basora. I think that's a good term to learn. It's what they would have understood was happening. Our good news word is translated from that. Jesus didn't say the word good news. He doesn't say euangelion. Primarily because who can say euangelion? I mean, Jesus would be like, what? No. But Basora, hopefully that's it's interesting. Basora is this idea that God is bringing everything home. He is bringing everything to fruition. Um, the garden, as Steve would say, is being reopened for us. We're going to go and we're going to live with God. So that's what people hear Jesus teaching. You know, hear his words again. At last, the time has come. So this isn't something new and crazy that they have never heard before. But all the prophecies that were in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, um, uh, uh, Nahum, uh, it's happening. It's happening now. The kingdom of God is near. So this end, this transition where we all come home is, is happening in order to be part of this, we have to turn from our sins and believe in this Basora. Believe in God is changing things. Believe in the Messiah. Believe in this kingdom that's going to replace our world. So I really like Kurt's you know, transition idea. Um, we've been bought out. And so the new management is taken over. And so we're, we're going through this process. Um, in order to stay with the company, <laughs> you, you, you better get your sins right. Um, it's a, a huge bombshell. As best I can determine, Jesus wouldn't be the only one talking this way. But Jesus is proving his words beyond what other people would uh, be able to back up. So uh, that's pretty heavy. Let me stop. Are we okay? Does that make sense? Trying to be as Mark as we can be Mark. So let's look at verse 16. Jesus wants a record of this. <clears throat> now it would have been really easy if Jesus just sat down and wrote all this himself, I think. Can you imagine the gospel of Jesus, <laughs> written by Jesus? Um, that would be a book to read, um, but this is what he does. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon 
and his brother Andrew fishing with a net, for they were commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Come be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went with him. So, wow, a lot to to unpack. We read that Jesus went back to Galilee. But Galilee's a relatively a big place. Um, I think we have a map. Can we show it up? So that's, yeah, well, we can start there. That's, this is the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, if you look back over there in that sort of mountainous area, that's where he gave the Sermon of the Mount. That's Mount Arbel, um, which if you're in Wednesday night Bible study, you know there's a lot more history to that. But um, this is the uh, north shore of the Sea of Galilee today, and it's not very populated. It's still uh, lightly populated of, of all the regions in Galilee. And this is really where Jesus hung out. He uh, doesn't really get along with folks back in Nazareth, and so he kind of gave them the the see you later and he he hangs out up here so that's what it looks like let me show you a map um, so he's from here and remember this is the Jezreel Valley this is sort of the breadbasket of Israel it's um, it's it's really intensive agriculture in this area his um, he grows up here um, and there's a huge city over here, Zipporahs. Um, can, can you go to the next map? <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> Christian maps always leave off the big cities. <laughs> so Zipporahs, huge city, 10,000 people. Nazareth, uh, maybe 300 people. <laughs> so <clears throat> this is the suburbs. This is a workman's village. Jesus leaves this area, and he goes up here. And again, he skips Tiberias. Another huge city, 10,000 people. This is a nice city. Still today in the Galilee region, it's the biggest city there. Uh, when you, everybody in Israel goes to the lake, and this is the lake they go to. One, because it's the only one they have. But um, can you imagine water skiing on the Sea of Galilee? I mean, you, you'll see it all the time when we, when we go to Israel. It's like, I'm not sure that's, uh, but you're walking on water. So there you go. Um, <laughs> So Jesus avoids all of this Tiberius, and he'll he'll go a little to Magdala, but he he goes up north. And today we're in Capernaum, so yeah, right there. Again, it's it's a village. Uh, its name in Hebrew is Kafar Nahum. Um, the Greeks have made it Capernaum, um, but Kafar is just a village. Now it's probably about a thousand people. Um, and he will spend a lot of time in Bethsaida, um, a little in Chorazin. But this is the area that he likes. This is the Jewish quarter, if you will, of the lake. There's big settlements over here, but they're all Greek. They're all pagan. Big settlements over here running down the coast. Again, they're Roman, uh, Greek. And so Jesus just avoids those neighborhoods altogether. And he just really likes this Jewish suburb, this Jewish quarter in uh, the, the, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. How many miles did that say? 18 miles. 
Yeah, it's not really that far. So you, yeah, yeah. So good, good measurement. But yeah, it's um, it's really mountainous in this this whole area. Um, so you're going up and down a lot. But uh, hmm? just like on got all the mountains you got. Yeah, exactly. You know, you better make your, sure your transmission's in good shape when you go to Odessa. Yeah. So it, it gives us a feel. Um, of what he's doing. Now there's um, uh, my, my, my Bible translation said uh, commercial fisherman. D- does yours get anything like that? Just as fisherman. They're they're trying hard to um, to differentiate, you know, uh, just a regular fisherman. The, the town up there, um, all of the northern towns are a variation of fish. <laughs> um, so Magdala is the tower of the fish. Uh, Betsaida, um, again, we talked about this on Wednesday, is literally the house of the hunter. Now, why would you have the house of the hunter right on the seashore? They hunt fish. There actually is no Hebrew word for fishing because they're not fishing people. They don't regularly eat fish. Uh, They're more olive, uh, grape, and uh, bread people. The only reason they're catching fish and why my translation is saying commercial because they're trying to give a historical context here. The Romans are here and here to stay. And one of the funny things about the Romans is that they have their ketchup. There's a particular smell, <clears throat> we're told. And if you're once a night, you know this. I should have brought some for you. But Romans are obsessed with garum. And it's fermented fish uh, sauce. And so, has anybody ever had fish sauce? I mean, you uh, fermented fish oil, yeah. You see it in a lot of Asian foods still. <clears throat> the, uh, the Italians still use it somewhat, but basically you grind up fish, and you put it in big vats, and you let it ferment. Fish just gets better with time, doesn't it? <clears throat> the Romans used it like ketchup. Everything they could put it on, they did. And so there's lots of stories about you could smell a Roman coming um, because they just reek of this fish sauce. So what are Jews doing catching fish? Making money. Uh, making money. They're, they're selling it to the Romans. They don't... Uh, this is what Magdala is. It's a place where they're grinding it up and they're fermenting it. So all of these towns up in this north shore of Sea of Galilee, these are kind of boom towns, which we would understand around here. The Romans are here. There's a new market. And so we're all doing this uh, so that we can make money. And you have to watch this, but what kind of fishermen are the disciples? They're terrible fishermen. Um, Watch it. The only time they catch fish, it's a miracle. I kid you not. Um, You'll look at it. It, Yeah. (laughs) They're they're not this these great woohoo 
um, you know, they, these are fishermen, right? They're supposed to know the water is like the back of their hands. And what happens when they get out on the water? They almost drown. They almost drown, die. There's storms. Oh my God, we can't do it. Jesus save us. So it's this long cultural thing. Jews are not water people. They're, they're just not. Water is always a source of evil. I mean, from the, the Red Sea to the Jordan River, the water's in chaos. And, and so all of this is sort of a bizarre situation for good Jews to find themselves. These are uh, the initial disciples that Jesus calls are kind of soft, I think, collaborators. They're not like Matthew, who is openly working for the Romans. He's collecting taxes for them. But they're not like Simon the Zealot, who is one of Jesus' disciples, who's a resistance fighter. He's actively fighting the Romans. Uh, you know, the sons of Zebedee, uh, Simon Peter, Andrew, they may not like the Romans, but we take their money. So it, it just it puts us in a little different context of, of what's what's going on here. I'm not saying these are bad guys, but they are trying to make a living in a hard world, uh, and they're doing things that Jews have never ever done before. Um, so um, Jesus is a North Shore Sea of Galilee. He's with Simon, and remember, people from Galilee generally have two names. They have their name, their Jewish mama gave them, uh, which is Shimon, Simon, and then the name they have to do business with. Uh, and why do they have to have a, a Gentile name? <coughs> They're living with Gentiles. You've got to do business, and they get tired of, what's your name? Shimon. What? Shimon? No, just, just call me Peter. So, can you say that? Oh, yeah, I can say Peter. Okay. Um, so the, he doesn't have two names. He's not a Southerner, right? Simon Peter. Um, it's, his mama calls him Simon, and the people he does business with call him Peter. So, um, and his brother Andrew. So they were commercial fishermen. Jesus called them out, Come be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish so understand, when Jesus said fish, he says hunt. And I think it underscores, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> um, you're, you're doing a thing we don't even have a word for in our language. Um, you're going to hunt for men. Uh, we Jews are not fishermen, uh, but this is what you do. So a little history here. Even though they're collaborating with the Romans in a soft way. I mean, they're, and maybe this, is this too strong? Um, it, it's, it's like the, the people in occupied France in World War II that ran the nightclubs for the Nazi officers. Um, are they good? Are they bad? You know, we're making a living. Um, it's what we're doing. So they're making this decision to make money. But in their culture, we're talking about this in a couple of venues, but Galilee is pretty conservative. Um, they are steeped in the rabbinic process, which means all kids, all boys, are trained in memorizing Scripture, memorizing the Bible. So no matter who you are, they start you at six 
and they'll begin this training process. So it has the unusual factor that many are literate um, amongst the Jews, where most of society is not. Um, they can at least read uh, some of Scripture. But the way the educational system works is that you go and study kindergarten with a rabbi, and as long as you can keep memorizing, keep understanding, you stay with him. At any point that you can't do it, uh, they say, you know, God bless you, it's clear you love the Bible, it's clear you love God, uh, but go do your father's occupation. And so they go off and do somewhere else. So at some point, uh, Simon and Andrew and the others had failed out. And they had gone to fish. Uh, I don't know if that was their father's job, but we can debate that later. Um, But Jesus, again, being recognized as a rabbi, uh, has what we'll see in a minute, authority, shimka. Um, He says, come, be my Talmud, or plural Talmudim. Please understand when they say, be my disciple, I mean, that's loaded language. Uh, today, you can have a disciple in, in all sorts of ways, right? Artists maybe have a disciple or a president or a business leader, blah, blah, blah. But in, in first century Galilee, that's a very coded uh, phrase. I mean, it's like saying, come to medical school with me. Uh, it's... It's recognizing definitely Jesus is a rabbi, and he is selecting these people to be the recorders, the written gospel of his teachings. He's now, in a sense, started his his official public ministry, and he needs those that will uh, understand it and record it. Because rabbis don't write what, Tom? They don't write books. They write on the hearts of their disciples. And so this is Jesus' way he's going to do it. The only record to this is going to be the people that he instructs directly as disciples. So it is a huge thing that he calls uh, Simon and Peter. And do, do they debate about it? Nope. I mean, when when someone like this, if Billy Graham asks you to come preach for him on Sunday, um, you say, well, Billy, my friend, I'm, I'm busy. We're going to the lake. No! I mean, especially if Billy Graham asks you today. Um, he, he, but... Um, but at that time, would Jesus have had that level of reputation? He seems to have, yes. Um, way before the M word, way before Messiah, way before anything else, that he is this unique thing, which is a rabbi with shimcha. And I hate to throw that term out to you, but this is what they're saying when he, he says he teaches with authority. They will not have seen this in a generation or two. To say a rabbi has authority is to say that he is different from the two camps. So in in rabbi circles, there's like Republicans and there's Democrats. There's the school of Hillel and there's the school of Shammai. And what they're figuring out very quickly is Jesus is neither. He is teaching with Shimcha, which is a new kind of authority. It's a new understanding. They've never heard it before. Now, they're worried about it being the two schools of thought. 
But what Mark is saying, it's, it's not a matter of conservative or liberal. This is Basora. This is the gospel. This is why it sounds different to you. This is it. The kingdom is here. Jesus is something so different. And the folks in, in Galilee, Capernaum, are hearing that. Um, so he's kind of a rock star, um, even before the real miracles have got started. One of the ways I know this, Kurt, is because they're inviting him to preach at the synagogues. They don't give that to anybody. Um, to be able to stand up and instruct others uh, shows that he has already uh, recognition that his his teachings matter. So basically, he's taking a bunch of people who have not rabbi school yep. and saying, come and join my rabbi school. Yes. And this would have shocked everybody. They were very good fishermen, right? So you've got soft collaborators, you've got washouts, and we'll we'll look through this in Mark when he calls everybody. But Jesus does a crazy sort of cross section of society with his disciples. I mean, he picks on the one hand these fishermen, uh, flunk outs, and then we talked about it a little bit. He's going to pick two terrorists, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. So Simon the Zealot is a resistance fighter, and Judas is a hardcore terrorist. What? I mean, maybe I get the fishermen washouts, but, but you got murderers? That's weird. And then he picks Matthew, who is a complete collaborator. In a normal day, Simon and Judas would be killing Matthews. And Jesus says, no, I want him in here too. I mean, so we'll go through this. Jesus is, is picking the, the wealthy working with the Romans, uh, the sort of wealthy working but not good at it Romans, the terrorists. Uh, he picks a farmer. I mean, it's, it, wow. Um, it's, it's like he wanted the message recorded from all perspectives of Jewish society. And that's very different from what other rabbis do. Usually rabbis will pick one who's like the best, uh, who has passed all the tests. Um, Usually you approach a rabbi and say, can I be your Talmud? Can I be your disciple? And then the rabbi would test you with scripture to make sure you knew your stuff, that you had the mental capacity to remember what he did. Jesus does it totally opposite. He asks you. And so it's a huge uh, change. And this is what I love about doing the rabbi stuff. I don't care really that Jesus was a rabbi, but it, it, it helps us put in perspective how people perceived him. And then when he changes from that, that's a big deal. Like it is here. He's calling them Come, um, this is the way the kingdom is, right? It's not God saying, you have to be perfect, you've got to know all this. It's God saying, there's something in you that you haven't brought forth yet, and so I'm going to help you. So a huge, huge deal. Um, a little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, um, Interesting fellas, these two. Jesus will give them a nickname. Do you remember what that is? Sons of Thunder. They were the original Jewish wrestlers. Sons of Thunder! Um, No. They are... And I should stress, 
How old do you think these guys are? Hmm? How old are they? Yeah, they're teenagers. They're, they're late teens, early 20s. So, you know, when we watch the movies, they're always these long bearded Englishmen. Oh, yes, Lord, I will go. No, it really doesn't work that way. One of the reasons they do such dumb things is because they're still teenagers trying to figure stuff out. But uh, James and John will get really mad one day when they go through Samaria. And again, itinerant rabbis rely on the good graces of uh, the people in the community. So they put them up, they feed them and all that stuff. So James and John have had a hard day. They're looking forward to dinner, but none of the Samaritans will put them up. And so they, uh, they go to Jesus and say, hey, 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 how about a little of that miracle action? How about you just drop a lightning bomb on these people and kill them dead? And Jesus is like, no. Um, and I, I like this insight into Jesus that he gave people nicknames. You know, Peter, kind of you blockhead, and uh, the the sons of thunder. You know, all right, boys, how's it going? Who you want to kill today? Um, but so much history that will happen, and John, right? John is going to be the last living disciple uh, of all of this group uh, to survive. All the rest will be killed. Uh, they too hear the message and drop everything. In their case, their father, Zebedee, uh, who owns a boat uh, with hired men. So he is doing pretty well. Uh, they drop everything and they go with him. So he's picked up four disciples when the average rabbi takes one. And we're, we're off to the races here. Uh, Jesus' next stop is Capernaum on Sabbath in a synagogue. And he's going to really begin the formal teaching. So today, think about it. Jesus' message is not so much to go out in terms of the words we're reading, but the words that are in our hearts. Jesus doesn't ultimately, I think, want worshipers or followers. He wants disciples. And that's us. That's what we're called to do. The message is still spread by us. The kingdom has come. It's all going to come to an end before we know it, whether our death or the end of the world. So are we going to share it with people or not? So questions? I used to hear fish from men, and now everything is says people. <laughs> yeah. But it's people. That poem I quoted from was, was The Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot. Oh. Said that, that's the last line of the poem. This is, how, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. I hope it ends with a bang. The big bang and the little bang. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I always kind of thought that when, they, when Jesus called them, they, they left their jobs and went to something different, but it was kind of a leg up, or, I mean, it was a job, it may not have been money for them, but it was, I mean, it was a step up in society. Oh, for, for sure. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, they went from nobody, you know, hawking fish to uh, students of the, of the greatest uh, rabbi that they know right now in Galilee. So. A celebrity coming in. Yes. Come with me, like, starstruck. Yes. And, you know, and we sort of 
appreciate then when Peter denies Jesus in public, right? Three times he turns down all of this. You know, the, the great celebrity that he was raised up to, he just throws it aside. The bizarre thing is, Jesus will end up cursing, cursing this whole area. The, the three towns, um, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and uh, Capernaum. Um, so, <laughs> even though all four guys come from here, ultimately Jesus gets a little ticked um, at them. But we'll talk about what all that means. Anyway, well, let's pray. Father our God, we read these words today and pray the reality of them still resonates in our hearts. Because the truth is, you are calling people back to your mountain. You are calling people to your gospel. To understand who our rabbi, who our teacher, who our savior, Messiah, who our God really is. Help us today, O Lord, to know that you've called us too. We've probably, I know I have, Lord, made our dumb decisions to be fishermen. But you call us to something higher. Of all the things that we will do to earn our bread today, none of it will be as important as the words that we share from you. So help us to keep our eyes open for all elements of society. For as you called all kinds of disciples, you call all kinds of people, from the richest to the poorest, from those like us and those not like us. It is your will that all people be saved. And we pray that we'll be part of it. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, gentlemen.